Before we get started, I'd like to extend a big, big thank you to everybody who reached out after my last podcast regarding my search for work. Thank you very, very much, and I appreciate your kind words. It was a difficult decision to leave that message in in the last episode, considering how cringe it could be that a middle-aged white guy would go on about how he didn't get the job. But I left it in, cringe and all, because, well, this is nonfiction, and nonfiction often isn't pretty. There is good news, though, a positive development in a major way. I've recently accepted an offer for a new job. It is a legitimately fabulous opportunity, and I can't wait to get it started. It just goes to show how even in a low moment of humiliation and defeat, everything can turn in a snap. In my limited capacity, I hope I could extend a a note of solidarity for anyone else who's out there looking for a job in this market. Please keep up your chin. And try your best not to let rejection get you down, even though I know that's probably dumb advice. There's no doubt every rejection comes with inevitable disappointment, and and after so many rejections, that residual disappointment can begin to add up. So I can see how suggesting people just let it roll off their back can seem unhelpful. Regardless, if you are someone out there looking for a job, you might benefit from a reminder that you are employable. You are talented. You are beautiful. (laughs) Keep up the good work. Keep at those applications and don't be ashamed to tap your personal network. I remain convinced the only way to get a job these days is to lean on those who know you best. So here's to brighter horizons and big developments. Here's to sinking your teeth into better work. And with that out of the way, let's do this thing. From a dark closet in St. Paul, Minnesota, this is Don't Remember Me Like This. I'm Nathaniel Barber. Don't Remember Me Like This is a homemade nonfiction podcast and diary thing. Campground Etiquette The campground was by no means remote or even rustic. It was quaint and welcoming and efficiently run by an elderly couple that made the rounds from their RV in a custom golf cart with a Packer sticker on the back. That's what she said. As for roughing it, the grounds were decidedly closer to the more glamorous end of the camping spectrum, a large wooded area in the suburbs with drive-in sites that even had electrical outlets. Just a short walk from many of the sites were clean, well-stocked bathrooms. The bathrooms were so sturdily built, they could double as shelters during extreme weather events. This was lazy suburban camping at its finest. Each individual campsite was separated by only ten feet or so of sparse trees, With neighbors who were quiet and considerate, one could pretend they were out in the woods, living off the land from the back of their car. But with neighbors like ours, our weekend outdoor adventure would be soundtracked by Cool 108, the Twin Cities' hottest hits of the 80s and 90s, a station our neighbors blasted from a gigantic sound system at full volume, commercials and everything. In spite of the incredible ruckus kicked up by our neighbors, we never actually saw them. We couldn't see into their sight because their approach was plugged by a gigantic orange truck, which I jokingly titled The Compensator. Between Bon Jovi's mega-hits and ads for a buy-one-get-one-half-off sale for Sealy Postropedic mattresses, I could hear their shouts and cheers, indicating there were roughly three separate couples in there, probably playing cornhole or beer pong. If you buy one mattress, I asked Jacqueline, why would you need another one? One man, in particular, could be heard over this incredible din shouting periodically, NOISE!
To the best of our ability, we tried to ignore this commotion. We cooked hot dogs by the campfire and grimly consumed the food to REO Speedwagons. Can't fight this feeling. Prompted by my expression, Jacqueline suggested, Why don't you just go ask them to turn it down? I imagined how that conversation would play out. I could stand at the edge of their campsite and shout, but there'd be no way I'd be heard over their sound system. Entering their campsite would mean squeezing past the compensator and the bushes on either side. Knowing my luck, I'd be spotted before I was able to explain my presence. I pictured the headlines, St. Paul Man Shot in Face During Campground Altercation Over Sting's Fields of Gold. In the best possible scenario, I figured even an exceedingly polite request to turn down the radio would create mortal enemies of our neighbors, and I just didn't care enough to trade in a weekend of relaxation for navigating the seething wrath of a pack of weekend warriors. We considered taking the passive-aggressive route and complaining to the campground managers before just letting it go. Instead, we entertained ourselves by wondering out loud what kind of people our asshole neighbors were. What world were they living in where treating a packed campground in the greater portion of southeastern Minnesota to radio spots for erectile dysfunction pills is normal? We could have just packed it in and gone home. Between the raging party at the neighboring site and a forecast that was warning a rainstorm of biblical proportions was quickly approaching our exposed campground, it seemed something was trying to tell us this just wasn't our weekend. But it was our weekend. We'd planned extensively to make even this brief outing possible, and there was no turning back now. We were locked in. Also, our daughter had been looking forward to camping for weeks. She'd already befriended a clutch of kids a couple sites over— They were, as she said, the very best of friends, and neither of us were eager to provoke a meltdown by telling her we were giving up and heading home. Also, I reminded Jacqueline, it wouldn't be long before she'd be mortified to even be seen anywhere with her parents, let alone look forward to spending a camping weekend with us. We needed to enjoy this while we had the chance. Besides, I suggested optimistically, maybe they'll turn off the music soon? Rolling her eyes, Jacqueline resigned, Welp, then I guess it's a good thing we planned for rain. The neighbor's party raged deep into the night and was only extinguished by a torrential downpour. The rain was incredible, shaking our brand new tent and putting its maiden voyage to the test. Our daughter slept soundly through the entire commotion. Jacqueline and I lay wide awake in amazement as the violent storm raked perfect hell across our suburban campsite. The next morning, I drove home to pick up large picnic umbrellas. With more rain forecasted and increasing weather conditions on the horizon, I thought it might be a good idea to create some kind of shelter so that, even if our picnic table was soaking wet, we might still be able to enjoy one last evening observing the rain from some semblance of refuge. When I returned to the camp, it was sunny and warm, although the neighbors had revived their auditory assault on the campground. Somehow, the radio seemed even louder than the day before, maybe to make up for the party time lost during the previous night's deluge. Noise! To Smash Mouth's all-star, Jacqueline was furiously setting up the umbrellas. I noted, They're still at it, I see. She said, I don't want to talk about it. Our daughter, it turned out, had not been much help either. She and her camp friends had formed a gang, and there was a turf war brewing with a group of kids from the north side camps over who controlled the playground. 
Together, she and her conscripts were systematically terrorizing the campground in a campaign to hold their territory, screaming and running in a triangle rotation from our camp to the other kids' camp to the playground and back to our side, demanding snacks and treats she'd promised the gang. After much complaining and dramatic sobbing, we were finally able to shoo away the other kids and pin down our daughter long enough to put some food in her. After a couple unenthusiastic nibbles at her dinner, she was off to the races again. She wanted to check in on the playground, I assume to confirm none of the other kids were getting in on her slice of the action. The path from our campsite to the playground ran just adjacent to our partying neighbor's site. Wanting to get a look at who these people were, I announced I would accompany our daughter, under the pretense I could help ensure the territorial dispute over the big toy didn't escalate. Noise! Oh goody, I thought, maybe I could see who this Mr. Noise guy is and report back to Jacqueline. As we were following the path to the playground, I noticed the birds. All the birds were going insane in the trees overhead, not just tweeting but flitting erratically from branch to branch and flapping their wings at each other. The breeze seemed to stall and shift directions, creeping eerily warm from the southwest, slinking through the trees, thick and humid. Just then, Blue Oyster Colt's Don't Fear the Reaper was interrupted by a piercing dial tone of the emergency broadcast system, followed by a crackling electronic voice, warning of an approaching extreme weather event. The warning also popped up on my phone, a possible sighting of a tornado in the area. My daughter, perhaps sensing I was slowing her roll to the playground, tugged incessantly at my hand. I apologized. Nope, sorry, I said. No more playground today, kiddo. When I returned to our camp, dragging our screaming daughter behind me, Jacqueline was already frantically wrapping up anything she could get her hands on. Together, we grabbed whatever we could and threw it in the back of the car. I grabbed a bottle of water and a pair of thick work gloves. Jacqueline brought a first aid kit and another bottle of water. Our daughter brought Floppy Bunny. We hurried from the camp for the stout cinder block bathrooms nearby. As we hurried past our horrible neighbor's campsite, it occurred to me I should stop and warn them about the tornado. But then I remembered the night before, the limited offers, the best prices on the best selection of the most in-demand back-to-school must-haves that any Minnesotan has ever seen before. That and more Billy Joel than I thought could possibly be crammed into one summer weekend. I hesitated there for only a moment until we heard the call of the jackass. Tornado, he crowed. Nice! Doubling our pace to the bathroom, my daughter asked, Aren't we going to warn them, Dad? Nope, I said. Let God vacuum them up. We were the first to make it to the bathroom tornado's shelter. The entrance to the short, solid structure was through two screen doors which opened to a small entry, about the size of a pantry. From the tiny entry, one could either go to the men's restroom on the left, to the ladies' room on the right, or to a large family restroom straight ahead. The family restroom was nice and roomy and there was a lock on the door. It also had the added protection of being in the middle of the structure. The men's and the women's rooms were larger, but they reeked of sun-baked urine and impressive fumes of bleach. They also had large frosted windows, thankfully not see-through windows, I thought, but definitely breakable windows. Welp, I said, this seems like a no-brainer. So we helped ourselves to the family bathroom in the middle, ample room for the three of us. I locked the heavy door behind us just as the local tornado sirens were winding into a piercing wail. In spite of being a campground bathroom, the facility had been remarkably well-maintained. There was plenty of toilet paper, and the waste bin had been recently changed. 
The soap dispensers hadn't yet been ripped from the wall and were full of soap. The toilets and the sink at least appeared clean. Still, it was a campsite bathroom, and the evidence of years of anonymous abuse, the scratched-in initials and dates on the mirrors, cigarette burns on the stall doors, and healthy colonies of black mold thriving on the ceilings and walls, indicated the facility's fastidious caretakers were locked in a losing battle. We huddled close in, not touching the walls or touching anything. The heavy rains arrived with a solid barrage, thrumming on the thick roof. Outside the family restroom, we could hear the screen doors kick open with the wind, and the small entry suddenly filled with the panicked shouts from our neighbors as they struggled to cram into the tiny entry. Is this all there is? Someone shouted. I heard someone open the door to the men's room, and then Mr. Noise Guy barked, Oh, fuck this shizzled dog! There was a knock on our door, and as the knock escalated to a pounding, I shouted, Yeah, there's people in here. In the entry, someone lamented, We can't all stay in here. Someone else offered, The men's room is big, but it stinks like shit and there's windows. We get sucked out the windows for sure. Someone else said, Who puts windows in a tornado shelter? Who puts windows in a public restroom? Just then, it sounded like more campers arrived. Oh, God, said someone, We can't all fit in here. Someone outside said, What about there? There was a pause, then a rattling at our doorknob. Someone's locked the door, shouted someone, more to us than anyone else. They've stranded us out here while they've locked themselves in the only safe room. My daughter, clutching Floppy Bunny, whispered, Should we open the door and let them in? Hell no, I said. They can all go to hell when they die. She jabbed me in the leg and complained, That isn't nice. You're right, I said affirmatively. It isn't nice, but it's true. We live, they die, and after they die, they're sent to hell where they're forced to listen to Steely Dan and Journey and Mattress commercials for an eternity. I'll chalk that up to a win. Jacqueline gave me a frustrated stare and quietly mouthed, Stop it. What? I said. Look on the bright side. They'll all go away and we get the compensator, provided that too isn't sucked away. For the next 40 minutes or so, we huddled in our roomy vault, listening to the storm raging outside, shaking the walls and the constant complaints and profanities from the campers locked outside. In spite of the lock, they continued to try the knob every five minutes or so. Still in here, I called out. The storm disappeared as quickly as it had arrived. After the mournful calls of the tornado sirens died down, I unlocked the bathroom door. Outside, the crowd of campers were waiting for us with their laser eyes and whispered curses. Like a happy idiot, I marched directly through the middle of the small vitriolic crowd, offering a quick salute. How are you doing? I said to everybody. Hell of a night! The tornado, if there'd even been a tornado, hadn't touched down on our campground, but still the camp had seen things. Huge branches had been torn from healthy pines and lay across the paths. A rushing stream of water cut deep rivulets down the main gravel loop. Miraculously, our tent was still there, perhaps a testament to having been carefully pinned to the ground with 3,000 metal stakes. The next day, our daughter's gang reunited to compare notes from the night before. This time they were joined by their parents, who were surprised to hear we took shelter in the camp restrooms. Oh, God, said the mom. It must have been terrible huddling in a camp bathroom with a bunch of strangers. It wasn't too bad, I said. Besides, I locked them out, so it was just us. You what? said the dad. Plenty of room, I repeated. Even if it was a little smelly, we had our own little room, which was pretty great. And solid, too. Where did you guys shelter? 
The dad took a moment, then began with an actually. Well, actually, he said, we have the RV, so... Helping him along, I asked, you sheltered in the RV? Are those tornado-proof? Thank God my daughter broke up our cringy conversation with a tug at my shorts. She asked, can you guys exchange phone numbers? Kaylee and Piper want to know if we can meet up for a playdate later. All around us, the campground was dripping. Branches were strewn about and the sky was blue and sunny. There was no mistaking we'd all experienced and were recovering from a brush with mortality. Maybe not the kids, since they seemed blessed with a short memory, but I for one felt briskly refreshed by a sudden reassessment of life and its true priorities. Privately, I might have been recommitting to the things I've always meant to do, but hadn't yet because life or our jobs or who knows what else was always in the way. But it wasn't just me. Kaylee and Piper's mom and dad and Jacqueline and I all looked at each other. Previously, we might begrudgingly but politely exchange numbers we knew would just be thrown away. But now, diplomatically, we all demurred for a hard pass. I said, oh, that's okay, honey. And knowing there'd never be another time, I offered, maybe another time. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Don't Remember Me Like This. All episodes are written, produced, and published by me. I'm Nathaniel Barber. Thank you for listening. We huddled, we huddled, fucking hell, we huddled, we huddled, we huddled close in. My God, I can't say huddled. Huddled.